From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 181, and today I am joined by filmmaker Gavin Michael Booth. Gavin's most recent film, Last Call, played in a shitload of festivals and won just as many awards. It's a really cool single-take thriller that, uh, and it's not even a thriller, it's a drama, it's a little bit of everything, it's really, really great. Uh, And you should check it out, because it's great. Like I said, how many more times can I say it's great? Anyway, Gavin and I sat down and watched a film together. So we're sitting down to watch The Brood. I'm Jeremy. I have not seen this film. I have also not seen this film. And I'm here with... Introduce yourself, sir. I'm Gavin Booth, Canadian filmmaker and uh, loyal friend and listener of your podcast. Aw, thanks, buddy. So what made you pick this movie? You know, I this is... And I've been like, doing a deep dive and going through... Cronenberg's old movies and somehow this one was not on my radar so I'm so glad that you brought it up I I am ignorant enough to the point that I know that David Cronenberg makes some movies I have not seen and I know that there's a movie called The Brood from the 70s I had not seen I did not realize until I sort of picked this for the podcast that it is a Cronenberg movie oh amazing I feel like it's it's on the rarer side of his catalog you don't ever hear people talk about this versus say videodrome or scanners or anything else from his early catalog that's just it it's definitely one of those ones and it's interesting for those who have it it is on the criterion channel so it's pretty accessible and if not i'm sure you can rent it through apple uh yeah i'm, I'm, I'm gonna watch it on uh, amazon prime today there you go there so uh, it is easily watchable. But yeah, it, it's one of those ones that I hadn't, uh, I don't even, I, all I know is like the image is looking at me in the face of this little girl with a very terrified face. I don't know anything about it because I was just like. I'm, my, 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 my image just looks like hands on, on stair rails. I, li- I literally have no idea what the plot of this movie is. I didn't, I purposely stay away. If I'm coming on your podcast, I don't do any research or read up about it. Yeah, I just want to go in. And it's so rare to go into any movie nowadays completely blind. It's so it's great. Sometimes the best experience. It's so great because your expectations. I mean, all I know is that it's like it's on the Criterion Channel and it's Cronenberg, which gives me a couple little hints uh, of quality yep. and of like, and also who he is and the kind of movies he was making, uh, especially in the seventies. And so, uh, so I've got some hints <laughs> in terms. I, of, I'm assuming it's Canadian. I'm assuming it was made in Canada. I don't even know I, if that's true. No By idea. that point, yeah. he was. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the beauty of it. But like you said, it is such a gift to be able to watch something and know nothing about it and just allow yourself. Because that's just like me. If I'm doing a podcast with someone and I haven't seen the movie, I try to go in as as empty as possible. Mm -hmm. And and if I have seen it before, then I I bulk up so I can be the trivia guy. I I reread some stuff if I can. But um, 
But in this case, I'm. This is always, and I, again, I don't, I don't know if it's just uh, cinephiles that really do it, but the trivia section on IMDb is fascinating. After any movie you watch, there is yeah, so so many a, like stories upon stories of, of the film's production that people have, have put in there. Yeah, and and if you are the kind of person that doesn't like listening to commentaries, I'm sure most of the information that's on there is from like DVD commentaries that someone has then mm. typed into IMDb. So it's like a it's like a a Wikipedia version or a fast version of uh, of a commentary track in some ways. It's great. So what uh so what is like your favorite Cronenberg movie if you if you have one? Oh man, what a question! I. I got to go with Scanners. I've seen Scanners more than I think any other Canadian film. I was mildly obsessed with Scanners when I was like 12 or 13 years old, to the point that I even watched the terrible Scanners 2 and 3 a couple times, <laughs> um, <laughs> which most people forget ever existed. I but did not. That invi- uh, Videodrome was another one for sure that I had. And, and that one was based off of the, uh, if you remember being a kid and just looking at cool covers in the video store, Videodrome was completely selected off of the awesome box art. That was the only reason I wanted to see it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it ended up truly loving it. It's great. Yeah, like the, those, I, uh, when I think of Cronenberg, I think of like that period. And I think of those, I think of um, Existence. I really yeah uh, that's that's where was that like late 90s-esque yeah that was the one with Jude Law right Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Leigh the 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 video game it's been a it's It's been a long time the fleshy video king game controller yeah yeah I I I remember loving the movie but it's worth a rewatch it's been long enough that I that I don't remember most of the details yeah, I love that, and I love uh, Dead Ringers is also from that period, which is Dead Ringers. Yeah, that's a good one. Jeremy yeah. Irons, right? Yeah, Jeremy Irons, and then I even best performances. And I really loved what's probably his most like low key movie, uh, History of Violence, that he made. You know, quite a it while ago now. Yes, I ne- I didn't see Eastern Promises, which I feel like I should catch up on. I I need to revisit it because I didn't love it. When the first time I watched it, I felt it was a bit flat for me. Um, I remember history of violence because I was living, you know, I was living in Windsor, Ontario, still, and there was a, a local actor there, and everyone's like, "He's in it. He's in this Cronenberg movie." And I was like, "This is going to be amazing." And I finally watched it. And it was one of those moments where, like, literally, he he's like one of the bad guys in the house towards the end, and he and he walks in and he essentially gets punched or karate chopped about twice. And then, and then he gets his neck broken or something and is dead within like eight seconds of appearing on the screen. But there was so much hype about, you know, local press and news articles about him being in the movies. That was just kind of a little bit like, man, either he really oversold his role or it's just the other case of like, don't talk about it till it's out. So, you know, what's been left in the movie and what's been cut out. Yeah. yeah that's just it. One. Oh, one, they're both sad in different ways, depending on what the answer is. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no middle ground yet of just letting the movie let the movie speak for itself, and then, and then you can, you can paint the picture afterwards. Yeah, you be the commentator after. Uh, all right. Well, I think we're in a good place. We know nothing about this movie other than like these, these yeah. basic facts of uh, of Cronenberg. So let's dive in. All right, catch you in 90 minutes. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, so we just finished. 
I should have guessed Art Hindle would be the lead. I mean, well, as soon as I, 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 I was like, Art Hindle, yay! Art Hindle is kind of a mainstay in Canadian cinema. And Nicholas Campbell, we got them both in one movie. Right? I think that's uh was illegal after that, but uh Yeah, yeah. The, 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 you get what you get, you get one or the other. If one's booked, you cast the other, I think now. Yeah, now now you can only have one or the other. <laughs> I now, now I want now I want to know how many movies they've done together. Oh probably oh, the answer is probably a lot. A lot, um, yes. If you're an, uh, a Canadian film nerd and you know the answer to this, please let us know on uh, on the socials. Yeah. Uh, I also, so it's just funny, you know, the cre- the credits are going and like, so I recognize the the cinematographer's name right away. Yeah, because uh, he also sh- he also shot Scream. Uh, so and then I I just did a quick scan through IMDb as the credits were rolling, and noted that he also he also shot robocop 2 which i know is work from but, but like the the dp's resume is wild he shot so many great movies one of the mighty ducks movies um Amazing. howard howard shore's first score this was howard, yeah yeah so we owe we owe David Cronenberg a thank you for Howard Shore's beginnings because Wikipedia says it's his first first score. What was he doing before that? Uh, he was the band leader for Saturday Night Live for five years. That's amazing. And this was a one point four million dollar movie, but that yeah. was back then. So you adjust for inflation, and it's yeah five ish. Is it? Is that how it works? Three? I don't There's, know. I, I don't know math like that. I'm just, I literally pulled that number out of my ass. We could look it up in a calculator if we weren't too lazy. Definitely. Definitely. There's lots of Canadian film credits at the end. And even there was a production assistant, Bob Wertheimer, who I just yeah. had to email and ask if it's Robert Wertheimer, producer that I chat back and forth about ideas with all the time. I literally just said to say, are you the Bob Wertheimer who's, who's credited as PA on the brood? Amazing. Well, that's just it going through it. It's just like Joe Dante cut the American theatrical trailer for this. <laughs> really? That's what IMDb says. So that's what six, five years before gremlins, he was cutting trailers. Yeah. There's hopes kids. There's hope. For all of us. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Amazing. What a... Oh, and this is like a proper Criterion release. It's not even uh, number 777. It's not even uh, like one of their just on the site things. Wow. So much to uh, unpack in this movie. It's interesting. And Nicholas Campbell, what an interesting role for him. Like he's playing... Here's the thing. I was so relieved after like 10 seconds in the movie when it pulled back and you saw that they were like sitting on stage. Uh, okay. At first I'm like, Oh, they're watching bad theater. And then I was that's, that's what I thought. I thought it was theater. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh no, it's, that's just, it's therapy. I guess they're, it's like, it's just like students watching therapy. Is that what that was? I don't know if it was. Yeah. Cause I'm like, it wouldn't, it doesn't make sense. It would be open to the public to watch these therapy sessions. Unless, I, unless it's like, but these people that have healing tents and things that travel around, it could also be a bit of a, a public display. 
Yeah, all I can think of was like it's kind of like the um the the what is it called the gallery or whatever it is in medical schools where they just okay can watch the surgery from above the theater the medical theater. Uh, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't go to med school. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Let's just say I I make films. I have no idea. (laughs) I just remember watching the Nick and there was something like that in it, and I'm like, nice that thing, whatever that is. Uh, but Mark, Mark Irwin, the DP, also shot Scanners and The Dead Zone. A lot of these people, Howard Shore, I didn't realize, was such a frequent collaborator of of um, Dave, David Cronenberg for years. Like I knew Rick that. I knew that he'd done a, yeah, a number yeah. of uh, of Cronenberg's scores, but I didn't realize that Cronenberg had given him his start. So there we go. Also, I just, I just watched... Uh, a couple couple weeks ago, I rewatched um, Gladiator for the first time since I've seen it in the theater. So Oliver Reed in this movie as the antagonist, you know, he's the he's the king or whatever in in uh, Gladiator. It's one of the few times he has not played a villain. He's got that. He's got that look. He's definitely suited to play. You know, it, but he's definitely, he's not the hero in this story either. He, he is the cause of all of this. His obsession of uh, the psychotherapy is what brings out all these. What a, what a bizarre movie. That's, like, well, that's just, it's <laughs> like, I mean, what, here's the thing. Here's my question to you. Cause let's, oh, there's so many conversations we had. Um, what did you think was happening from the get go as this like, We'll call it the brood, uh, since I guess that's what yeah. they're called. Uh, is starting to because it's, it's it's done in a very artful way. Where you're just getting little glimpses, right? And the movie very mm-hmm. slowly gives you more pieces of what this thing looks like. So, what was your first instinct as to what this thing was? Like what was happening with their bodies? You mean before they even show the, the or the yeah, children? just what was happening yeah, when just... the brood was like doing its thing and killing people. I assumed that it was a former patient or some sort of, you know, love child of patients or something from the experiments. Like maybe he was having his patients breed and this, this was an offspring. I definitely thought it was one, one child. Uh, See, I first thought it was just the daughter and it was like uh, a mental, like a second, oh, like okay. Jekyll and Hyde thing, right? And, and even too. Yeah. and that held up un- until because there's the moment when she's in the classroom, and then all of a sudden you see a new one in the blue suit, and I'm like, oh, that's a different colored suit because she was just wearing the red one, which was like the original suit. I'm like, and that confirmed it for me. I'm like, oh, it is the daughter having like these psychotic episodes. Which okay. Because the mother is off in uh in isolation, right? So like that tracked. And then when the new one came in with a new color, I'm like, oh, that's cool. We're gonna see like the two sides at once. And it even escorted her out of the room. And I'm like, oh, now it's this is we're seeing it now take over. And this is what happens. And like she's mentally checking out. But then that completely went out the window three seconds later when a second one showed up. And I was like, what the fuck is this now? Okay, my theory was- is gone. And then, and then there's a whole summer camp of them at the end of the end. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then the explanation. And okay, so spoiler: if you haven't watched the movie, uh, you know maybe don't listen to podcasts for movies. Yeah, it's been it's been forty years. You, it's you, around. You, it's available. Yeah, we yeah. told you how to watch it in the intro. Anyway, spoiler. <laughs> uh, 
it's caused it's a physical manifestation of her anger is this right mm-hmm. yeah yes it's a physical when she gives birth to these things and we literally see her doing that apparently that was or does she or does she or does she abort that one i don't know how it works I've yeah. never seen a baby be delivered. I, I, I didn't know if her was like, yeah, because like the womb was on the outside of her body. Because I was, it, it was a little, it was a little light on the body horror for a Cronenberg movie up until this end, this end. And scene. then it was yeah. like all at once. It was like, hey, yeah, you guys yeah. are waiting for the body horror to come in. Here the fuck it is. I was like, my face dropped. I was like, holy were you, shit. Were you going to note that she was the one who suggested or had the idea to lick, lick the blood off the... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I read that on Wikipedia. Or, it was or her idea. I guess that was the co- giant condom is what that fake baby was in, or the real, whatever you want to call it. Oh, really? Well, I mean, that I was guess... The, that was the outside. But here's here's my question. Now I have so many logic questions, because like, I'm okay <laughs> if this is an existential thing. You can have whatever rules you want. But this is a real physical... These are real physical beings. There's what, like eight yeah. of them at the end, maybe? Let's say there's eight, six to eight. So they don't, they don't age or they grow to a certain point and stop aging. That's just it. How did she yeah. have these all at once? Are they like a week apart? How fast do they grow inside this out exterior womb she has? How long has she been yeah. in that? Because they have to grow fast because her daughter is the same age, size, anyway. So how fast do these things grow? And how long has she been in the mental ward or whatever the place is? Yeah, yeah. Where, how, did it say yeah. at the point in the movie how long she'd been there? I, I missed that if it did. No, I don't. I don't know. But the events of this movie take place over about a three or four day period, right? Yeah, it's pretty short. If you, if you, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's wearing that like shawl thing the whole time, so it's not like she had a new baby in that time, or did she? I don't know. I I do li- I do like that all these you know, the brood children creatures were all, all they bought them all matching pajamas and matching snowsuits and everything else. That was very kind of them to that keep them matched the very stylish. Yeah, yeah they were all very stylish. Oh, those are great. That Let's scene is that that scene is very so. You know, the idea is that they're the manifestation of her anger and only act towards her enemy. That's why they target the people, the woman that, that he thinks she's having an affair with the grandmother that, that may be taking or pulling her daughter away from her. What I, what I did like was the scene when Oliver Reed's character is going up in to try to rescue her. That was great. And they're all, they're all, they're all like half asleep, you know, and there's that sort of like, it's almost like, it felt like it was out of like a, like alien or aliens or something like if they can sneak by these creatures without being detected um and and you just know it's going to go south at some point you just don't know how or when yeah and that's great too because at that point you're like you assume that these two guys are going to be enemies because this guy's trying to woo this man's wife he's obsessed with her but he also needs her him now so he can so that at, at that point i'm like oh this he's a pretty decent guy he's willing to sacrifice himself Putting yeah. himself totally at harm to save this kid. I'm like, he's a hero now. No matter what yeah, happens. Yeah, he's he it's a bit like Frankenstein, right? He's realized the error of his ways and now he must go go battle his own monster. His own, you know. I like the the what I did look at one of the the main dwarf actor who played several of the brood children was a uh a dink in Spaceballs. Dink 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 Amazing. dink dink. Yeah, <laughs> I do like that the newspaper article said dwarfs. Like it did be like dwarf killers. I was like, oh, it was you know, oh. 
PC for the it's ahead time. Of, ahead, ahead, of, ahead of their time, you know? Way ahead of its time. <laughs> so that was uh, that was good. Someone on that production was paying attention. They ran. They ran it by. They ran it by George Lucas and said, "How do we? How do we phrase this exactly? You've 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 cast several dwarf characters in your films. Is this the well, correct? Well, yeah. Maybe they were just like decent human beings, and they asked the actual actors, "Hey, what do you like to be?" Fair. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I would hope that was one of the moves. Uh, you can call me Gary. Gary would be fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so apparently, he wrote Cronenberg wrote this film following the tumultuous divorce and child custody battle he had. Oh uh, wow! And uh, so wait, does he hate? Does he hate his kids or his ex-wife? I can't tell. Uh, <laughs> Edgar's character possessed some of the characteristics of his ex. And so this was him exercising some. Uh, she she looked she looked so familiar, but I can't say that I remember seeing her in in other movies. No, neither neither can I. But uh, I mean that's a, I mean here's the thing here's what I do like about Cronenberg is like I like that as bonkers and off the walls as his movies is, and I like this. Like I did enjoy. I, I was along for the ride. It was campy mm-hmm. and schlocky in a way that worked for it. It's also uh, shot very well for for a, a low budget movie from the seventies. Like the cinematography. That man out. worked the fuck forever. That, that's why <laughs> yeah, that yeah. became a, a top a DP. Um, yeah. So what I love about Cronenberg is how he like, he's a true auteur in that he's got like a very specific view on the world, you know, and this body horror thing, which is, you know, it's not, he's not the only one doing it, but it's kind of like you, when you're watching a Cronenberg movie, you're kind of waiting for that, you know, or a version of that or something that's in there because that's such a, a thing that him, but it's like, but it, it represents stuff. It's not just in there for shock and awe, although it certainly shocks and awes you. Yeah, yeah. It's in there, but it, it represents something really, really thematic and emotionally strong that's connected. And that's why it's so shocking, um, you know, and that's what I love to this. And he doesn't shy away. Like the scene that really grabbed me and mostly because I'm thinking of how they had to have shot this is the scene where the kindergarten teacher is killed or whatever. I was, I, I made a note that said, can you imagine pitching this scene to telefilm today? Holy shit. <laughs> but just like the kids, the reaction on those kids faces is amazing. I don't know what they were doing to those kids to get them to react like some of them, but it looked like they were literally just not telling the kids what was going to happen. And they were just shooting. Yeah. Yeah, because all the reaction shots are definitively isolated shots of the children that you can't. Horrified. But it, and the kids it are was, horrified. Like, that's just not like, hey, look scared. Whatever yeah. is happening off camera is terrifying the fuck out of those children. I'm sad that they're, the kids are just extra, so they're not credited. Because I was, I was being like, oh, one of those grew up to be a premier Canadian actor. And I just can't, I can't recognize them, you know, as, as children. I'm yeah. sure of it. I'm sure one of them went on to do great things. Or we've worked with them and don't even realize it. Again, if you're listening to this podcast and you were one of the children in the brood, please let us know. Absolutely. Uh, if you're a working actor in Canada, you started your career as in the uh, teacher murder scene. Please, please let us know how it was filmed. Yeah. <laughs> but I just thought that scene in particular, like it's, yeah, I'm just trying to imagine pictures. So then the teacher dies. Okay. And so it's like after class, like it's like gremlins, like the teacher's alone in the class. Like, no, no, no. The children are all going to stand there. Are they going to run away? No, they'll stand and watch their teacher get bludgeoned to death. Yeah. Well, there's that shot where it's wide back. You're in the classroom. And then it's like the kids just stand, the, the broods just stand up and just stare at her for a moment. And I'm like, I'm just waiting for the cut. 
I'm waiting for the time where it just cuts yeah, yeah. Google. And, and then come back up. and find her dead later. Yeah. Yeah. I was not expecting it to like then this attack and then to, and then I was like, okay, they're gonna start attacking her, then we're gonna cut away. Like there's no way they're gonna do this. Yeah. Kids. No. It uh, it shocked, it's impressed me. Yeah. Made me worried about the children's welfare. Uh, but then made me trust that Cronenberg's a responsible human being and father himself, and that the kids were safe. And but even even when they came, even when they came back, even when they found the body, the, the kids are all just stood there staring at the dead body. Still, they haven't even left the classroom. When when yeah, he and shows the makeup up. job on that is brutal. It's brutal in a good way. Like it looks, yeah, because you know, like just to sell the point of what the kids have been looking at, he does grab her face at one point and roll her over, and like yeah, especially for the like late seventies, where like you know some of the blood with the, the grandmother and the kitchen when it splattered on the chair later it's that it's that obvious like almost yeah. like red paint look but in the in the kindergarten class it looked it, it was gruesome it was very gruesome yeah that's just it i'm like so if you that's what i want i mean what were the child labor laws at this point uh if you were in <laughs> we're, the, we're the, right. the, the, the kindergarten teacher murder scene in the brood please let us know how it was shot and if you're still affected by it and uh what did your life turn out like also, I want it was funny because I was forgetting the year it was made, 79 or, or release. And I was like, oh, there he's so inspired by Kubrick and the shining and like the design uh-huh. of the grandma's house and the and almost the way that the kids walk the or the brood children creatures walk syncopated and everything. It's just like, oh, it's like the two dead girls. It's it's all very like and I was like, no, wait, this is a couple this is a year before the shining. So, oh, so I was, I was Kubrick like, did, was influenced did Kubrick see did see this and then take any notes? Yeah, you know? I mean, maybe or it's maybe. not identical, but it's it's at least you know just in the same wavelength of uh, of sort of some of the style and design and camera moves and whatnot. Well, what is happening? What's the next thing Cronenberg does after this? I didn't look up that information. I believe scanners. But at Let this me look. Point, it's either scanners or video drama. Yeah, I'm just trying he to. He done rabbit already because rabbits rabbits a few years before this, I think. Yeah, but at this point, he's on people's radar, so there's a, there's a chance that. Uh, let's let's just say it's 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 long before um, it's long before Jason X and his acting his acting role. Yeah. <laughs> oh god! Uh, he also wrote scanners to oh no sorry base credit is writer for based on original characters okay that that makes more sense he did fast company the brood chapter this is scanners huh so you gotta think oh rapid yeah i mean so he's got to be on the radar of people so and there's a really good chance that um kubrick might have seen this and maybe borrowed something from it it's got a very similar aesthetic uh so that's fascinating. Yeah, I I dug it. That might just be every, every that might just be everybody shooting on the one film stock that they could afford at the time. I don't know. That's true. <laughs> that, that could be part of the aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I would I would think that the 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 film stock that Kubrick is purchasing is maybe a hair nicer than whatever we're we're, we're processing up here in <laughs> the, the Canadian government would allow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although we had a big Kodak factory there for the longest time. So now I now I want to go rewatch Scanners and Videodrome and Dead Zone, knowing it's the same cinematographer and that Howard Shore composed them, which I've long forgotten. 
and just kind of watch watch all of their aesthetic grow together from movie to movie and, and budget to budget. Yeah, I've never seen Rabbit. I need to go back and, and rewatch that or not rewatch. I I um I I, I hear. Here's my cancel culture. I have seen the new Rabbit, but not not the old Rabbit. So there you go, Canada film. You you have now have the, the fuel to cancel me for having watched the 2019 Rabbit remake. Oh, is it actually? I didn't know that. Was, I, knew of, I knew. I didn't know there was a remake though. That's interesting. I'm just looking it up and waiting for this site to look. All I will say about it. For those who don't know, I recently discovered this amazing website called JustWatch.com. And if you go to it and you type in the name of any movie, it'll tell you all of the streaming services or rental services. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a couple like that that are amazing. Yeah, yeah. This is the one I've been using, and it's it's sometimes wrong about uh, Hulu. Not Hulu. A uh, Hoopla is the uh, the free like library uh, associated app. Oh, Rabbit's on. See. It says Rabbit. Oh, that's an old one. Oh, the new, the original Rabbit is on Amazon Prime, allegedly. I will be uh, adding that to my Amazon Prime. There's, an, there's another one. There's another one called. I think it's Decider that helps you decide what movies to watch and where to find them. I see that one pop up often. Oh, I haven't heard of movies. Decider. I have, it's funny quarantine. I've actually spent more money renting movies. I think that I have since like the mid two thousands. I have to, I mean, I here, here's another hot tip for people. If you have a Costco membership, uh, you can often buy like a hundred dollars worth of Apple, uh, gift cards for like 80 bucks. Yeah. Um, yep. so that's, if you're, if you're a person who purchases Apple gift cards and use the Apple store for renting things, that's a good way to do it. <laughs> you save, you get 20% off. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been doing it too, but then I'm justifying, well, I'm not going out to the cinema, so I'm not buying That's definitely it. safe. Well, here, you know, America's, we've got, like, I had the AMC A-list where I pay $23 a month and can watch three movies a week, up to 12 movies a month, including IMAX, preferred seating, like everything else. Um, so the movie, going to the movies here was dirt cheap the last year until... Okay. Until they all, I know that thing looks so good, but is that continuing after, or did that that get canceled? I I don't know. I I I imagine it's canceled because theaters just are going to need to need to earn every penny they can possibly get when they reopen. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, and then that that, there's the big Cineworld deal that fell through, and Cineplex is looking to sue them. It's it's a real show. Well, I. Uh, you know, my film's coming out theatrical September 18th and people are like, it's coming to theaters. I'm like, just shrug emoji. Like I, I, I it's maybe who knows, who That's knows from it. month to month. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough right now. I mean, we can't, it's one of those things in mean, Warren Sonoda and I had this conversation because our movies are both, you know, as literally we were having this conversation the weekend that everything was just shutting down and our mm-hmm. film was still slated for a theatrical release like a week or two later. And he's like, "Are you guys going to cancel the theatrical?" I'm like, "I don't know if we're allowed." I mean, I don't Wait, even know which, if I can make which film. Which film did you have coming out? Games versus the future. So. Oh, okay, coming to the theaters, great. Yeah, but we just did what we did. Now it's out. I mean, what we just did is we just we decided to pull it. And we're like, no, let's let's pull it and just say. I mean, we the theater shut down anyway, so the t- decision was taken out of our hands. But we yeah. decided at the moment was that we were going to just work 
do a VOD release and just uh, take. And luckily, all the press followed and that kind of stuff. But the I did, I did, I did read that when I think back. But th- th- four months ago feels like an eternity ago. So I yeah, but the conversation that we were having was just around like the moral responsibility. Where Warren's like, I don't know if I can, you know, ask people to step into a cinema right now. And uh, and even now, like as things are starting to open up, I'm like, I'm kind of feeling the same way. Like if all of a sudden they were like, hey. We know the movie's out on VOD, but do you want to have a week in the cinemas? I'm like, I don't know if I, I'd be like, I think I'm good. Like, I think I'm yeah. happy. I don't, I don't even know when I'm going to feel comfortable. Uh, well, ours, I like, you know, Warren did it right. They did the, they did the kitschy fun throwback drive-in. Premiere, oh, so smart. Is, so much fun. Which is awesome. It just, it made me so jealous that I wasn't in the Toronto area to go, to go attend. Um, yeah. It's, so it's unfortunate we, we, that, that, you know, that's a movie that's so much about its soundtrack and it's like, you're yeah, into it on drive-in speakers, but yeah. you're. Oh, do they still give you the speakers there? It's not through an FM transmitter. Oh, you're right. I'm an idiot. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, don't worry. I, I went to the drive-in a couple of weeks ago to watch the Goonies and I was like, same thing. I'm like, so we still clip a speaker on the side of the car. It's like, no, it comes through your beautiful car stereo and sounds amazing. Yeah. No, it's much better now. I had, uh, yeah, and that's the thing. We're, we were thinking about doing a drive-in premiere, and, and because last call is split the split screen, we were talking about potentially renting two screens and separating the movie for one night only, and putting one side of the story on one screen, the other side on the on the other, and then parking the car sort of in the middle so you could look back and forth between the two the two screens, and for sort of one night only, do this gimmicky, like fun only way only time you'll see the movie presented this way. That's a really. Wouldn't you have to recut it that way? I mean, you guess you just use the tape. I, 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 yeah, I would have to. Yeah, it's only. I mean, I, I would have to reframe and re. It would be a lot of work on my end. But like all, like all ideas that are good, they take up way too much time. And once they're in my head, I can't get. I can't shake them. I have to do them. Yeah, and and so are you guys going to pursue that or no? Yeah, we're we're just re- but if if it means rent, you know, just not to bore the audience with like the cost of being an independent filmmaker, but if we suddenly have to rent two screens, it's not going to make it's not going to make any sense financially. No, that's uh, that because and it also it's like because it's not like you're going to rent two screens and get double the income. People are only going to pay for one price. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, your your premiere is essentially a, a lost leader, anyways, to get to gain some press in the U.S. and then get. Uh, it is an interesting time though, because there are there are some windows to win as an indie film when there aren't as many studio movies coming out, or all these studio movies just pushed to twenty twenty one. There are some some smart cracks to be filled if 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 people chase them. Well, that's just it. Like literally, like Hollywood is not releasing any films for a year, right? So it's like there's this yeah. kind of incredible window for indie indie films right now to kind of take advantage of that gap and get stuff out. If you're not being precious about a theatrical release, or even if you are, I mean, here's the thing too. It's like, cause the problem is even though cinemas are opening up right now, they're not going to put any of these tentpole movies in because the only way those movies make money back is if you pack the audience and you can't, and who knows if you're ever going to be able to like until this thing's under wraps, if it ever is, we might see the cha- a complete change in Hollywood just because they're never going to be able to recoup the way they were before because you can't pack a cinema. And who knows when you're Listen, there's people... Netflix is the clear winner in all of this. Netflix and Disney Plus 
Disney Plus hit their five-year goal for subscribers in under six months of launch. Um, and Netflix is laughing. Although that makes me you know, think they want it. They set their target really low just to like be able to say something like that. I, I, it seemed pretty realistic because the numbers on like launch week, you're like, okay, yeah, I could see them growing to that number over five years. And then all of a sudden, like the pandemic hit and everybody's oh, kids right. are Oh, right. That's home. fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then there's, uh, you know, there's people, you know, the Blumhouse models and things where it's like spending one to four million on these films. And sure, when they went theatrical, they made boatloads of money, but they can, I feel like they can operate at that same level and do VOD and recoup money. It's not, you know, it's like, the big argument is Tenon, you can't take a $200 million movie to VOD. It's just not going to earn its money back. Um, but if you go to theaters, how, how many people are going to come out? What's the, what's the moral responsibility of keeping people safe versus like earning money at the box office? Well, but also there's going to be yeah. rules and laws in place unless you live in Florida for how many people can be <laughs> in a theater, right? So I think yeah. it's going to take one big movie to take the, the risk and see if they can get like, and play the long game and said, look, we're not going to worry about like making a giant opening weekend. What's our opening month look like when we, I feel like they should just, Disney should do it with that uh, X-Men new mutants movie. That's been delayed for like the last two or three years already. Like just, (laughs) it's already been like recut and recut and recut and delayed like three or four different times. Just there's your sacrificial lamb. Just this thing's already, potentially get a bomb just put it out into the wild and see what happens but that's not a good test like you want to do it with something that would actually is it actually would really draw good. an audience yeah you a, you just throw something like that it's gonna it's gonna fail and it's like it's not a good you want to do it with like so maybe like black widow like marvel's black widow is probably the best or that would be, yeah. be the best test they had that movie was ready to go or wonder woman you know one of those two movies black widow is still set for november 6th so it's it may come out. We'll see. Or Bond. <laughs> Bond. Bond. But Bond Bond moved Bond moves to 2021. I saw that for sure. But it originally moved to the fall. Yeah. And they're pushing again. But I'm just saying it's like you have to pick a giant movie like that with a built-in audience. To see if people are willing to come back in what numbers and how all of the safety measures will. I know China for a while had a the policy was the movie had to be two hours or under to play because that way people are spending less time together in a theater, which meant Tenant would have to cut 31 minutes out of it. And I'm just like, man, this movie just has an uphill battle for days. All those movies, all those big blockbuster movies are over, are probably clocking in over two hours now. You know what? I feel like it's going to go back to like the 80s, like when an ET opened. And, you know, there weren't as many theaters, there weren't as many seats to potentially go see a movie. So now we live in a world of, we got to get everybody in, get this massive two hundred to three hundred million dollar opening weekend. Yeah, and then and but I think it's going to go back to like, okay, we'll just it'll be as if there were less theaters because there's less seats. So a movie might operate like what Titanic did, where it's like twenty five million opening weekend, twenty five million, and like sustain. That's what I'm saying. Like if it's you've like- been watching, um, um, oh god, what's his last name? Sean Sean Cernesta. How do you pronounce his name? Who did That's From the Vine? Yeah. So Sean, you know, Sean, he's at his third week of the number one Canadian film on iTunes. And I feel like it's going to operate a little bit like that, where when there's less content and less, less access to, to movies, 
more people will be exposed to to cert, to less titles um, over a longer period of time, and then people can actually sustain hits versus just like the flash in the pan and next next juggernauts out the next weekend. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. It's like they have to get about they have to Hollywood has to get over this notion of uh, a giant box office weekend for opening weekend and think about like what's the what's the long game look like and mm-hmm. what's our what's our opening month look like as opposed to the opening weekend. Uh, and, and until they can like one of them just kind of like just takes the plunge and picks one of these big movies that has a built in audience and just tests it out. They're not going to know. And eventually someone has to, because otherwise these things are sitting on the shelf and they're just costing them money. Well, do you remember to what year did uh, district nine come out? Was that like 2000? 10 2011 2009 somewhere around there yeah whatever year it was uh that and transformers 2 came out the same summer and like transformers 2 was like a 150 million dollar 200 million dollar blockbuster and district 9 was a 30 million dollar budget and they made about the same or district 9 might have even outgrossed it at the box office and i'm just like maybe that's the model maybe you take you know smarter smarter budgeting and like, like big movies, big concepts that, that can be done on a lower budget. And that's, that's the way to move forward. Go back to like the, you know, Spielberg's of the day where like their, 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 their budget cap was always like 60 million. And no matter what he did, they kept it, they kept it contained. Or I also wonder if things like Marvel, I wonder if they're looking at things that they have like two years down the road, if they're just like, uh, is this a better six episode series now for disney plus because we don't have to worry about going to theaters with it like i wonder how many projects are being shifted to television or streaming in advance like things that weren't already in production or already finished and waiting for release yeah things that they're developing yeah i mean i think all that i think we're gonna see i mean we don't know what the world's gonna look like in six months from now a year from now five years from now so it's like all these conversations are what's happening right now it's gonna be really really interesting but it's like I think at some point we're going to see, because I think they're going to try to keep theaters alive at some capacity. But I think what we're going to maybe hopefully see from this is the rebirth of like the $20 million movie, the $30 million movie. Like Which has stuff. been large other than like, you're, so that's why I say like all, all the, the Shawshanks or the, you know, like uh, Nicole Kidman and Malice or like all of those kind of like mid-level, like 20 to $30 million movies just sort of stopped existing for a while. And then there was, and now, then streaming came along and then you get Amazon originals that are making like Gus Van Sant movies and things that are like more than, more than 5 million, but still less than, less than 20 or the honey boys of the world and things like that. Um, so streaming was already there, but you're right. It might, it might just be a reset for theater. Cause it just became this game of like overspending to ensure that massive box office and big special effects blockbusters. We might like, dare I say it, get back to wonderful stories told through wonderful craftsmanship versus just giant CGI battles. That's what we're, that's what, that's a, that's the conversation I keep having in my head. And that's where I'm hoping we kind of get back to. I mean, I love those big giant, dumb, not dumb. Some of them are really great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Big giant movies as much as anybody loves them, but it's like, but yeah, just the, the turn your brain off movies and you know, yeah. Paint by yeah. numbers. You can sort of tell exactly where it's going. I'm in general, it's like, I'm a fan of, of balance, mm-hmm. you know? So for me, I'm like, I want a diet of a bunch of things. I want like a diet of that. 
I want me some like classic cinema. I want me some like great foreign cinema. I want a little bit of everything and then some big, dumb, fun movies too. I do. I am missing that here. The, uh, you know, LA just has such a wealth of, of, uh, you know, repertoire theaters and, and showing classics and even the silent movie theater down on, on sunset, there was always something great showing at the Egyptian or the Lemley theaters to do all these throwback Thursdays. And, and I would catch so many great movies like your, like your podcast movies I have never seen or movies I just never, ever had the chance to see on the big screen. Uh, and it was so that's, that's the part of the, the movie going experience. I miss the most right now. This is it. So, I mean, we'll see. So any, uh, any final thoughts on, uh, as we circle back? To the yeah, book? yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I would, I recommend this movie. Like I definitely, I was definitely, it, it is a good, cause it's got a bit of like that detective story going in, you know, um, and uh, Art Hindle's every man. He also, I will say he, his character rarely seemed upset by just finding people dead over and over again. He was sort of very passe about it as long as he could figure out where his wife or daughter were. That was the one thing I was like, why yeah. is this guy not a bit like, he's just kind of like, oh yeah, there's another one. Like, how yeah, he didn't see that shot. Phased by uh, what all is happening around him. But also the idea of like, you know, having to kill his wife to save his daughter. Like what a, talk about stakes, talk about, talk about choices at the end, you know? Yeah, well, as soon as, but as soon as you realize that they were like mentally connected, it's like, that's how it's got to end. There's no other way for this thing to end. Unless also is, her. what was the, the corporation or the, the treatment center was called Soma Free, right? <laughs> yeah. So is that a, is that an Adels Huxley Brave New World reference of like we're not going to use drugs to solve these problems we're going soma free like we're going to use psychotherapy? Oh maybe. Well that's all it was. Yeah, it was like his brand yeah. of like and he was using her as the ultimate patient. But it's like but he I want jeez. But then I mean it comes back to the logic. I mean I know we're into final thoughts but I'm like he like that that guy is aware that she's creating physical manifestations of her anger. And he's put them in like a cabin. In a little, yeah. little bunk beds, unless those are already there. They're feeding them, maybe? I did. I re- what are those things? The, the scores. I, yeah, I don't know. There's the whole. Inf- it's, did you see Us, the Jordan Peele movie? Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert, same same argument on a larger scale. Like, sure, there's these doppelgangers of everyone in America, but where are they getting the clothes? Who ordered the scissors from Amazon? Who hasn't noticed the power fluctuation and the, the water usage of these all these underground toilets? And what are they eating? And how does this society work? It does, Like, the logic can't work. If it had been more, again, if it had been much more of a, you know... Um, if it wasn't based in reality, but they explain in that movie, no, these, this was all created in the laboratory and cloning. And it's the, it's the government's fault. It's like, you could have just left that out of it. And it could have just been this supernatural occurrence or whatever. And I, I would have bought it full, full force. That's what I'm saying. Stop with the fucking midichlorians, George. Just like, don't give me less information <laughs> and exactly. I will make up shit on my own. But it's like, if you over explain it, you're fucking yourself so badly. You've got to just give me the bare minimum to get me through the door and then don't and then shut up because you're just going to make it worse the longer it goes. I just read uh, 
Egger recalled the production crew being very small with only around seven crew members in total while she filmed her scenes, many of them academics and PhDs standing there holding lights when necessary. <laughs> that's, a, that's still how you make Canadian films. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Nothing's changed, right? The, yeah. to, portray, to, to portray the brood of children, Cronenberg cast a group of child gymnasts from Toronto. Amazing. I mean, here's the thing. Most of my uh, films are made with academics holding stuff. It's they're called film students. They're from academia. <laughs> exactly. People that we that are willing to work for very little money to. Uh, oh, the the brood had cuts demanded for its theatrical release in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. Isn't that hilarious? That a script that was approved by the Canadian, you know, film board and the funding bodies then turned around that had cuts made to it so it could be released in Canada. That is amazing. That is amazing. Uh, I mean, bless but, them for like, here's the thing. I will say as much as you want to like, you know, throw shade at telefilm uh, for how it's operating now uh, or whatever, you know, it's definitely under review for various things, but you got to say that it's like for them to have back in the day backed and like shepherded a guy like Cronenberg as like bizarre as his vision is, that's pretty amazing. Absolutely. Even in the modern era, look, it wasn't that many years ago I made The Scare House, which is a brutally gory horror movie, and Telefilm put their money into that. So it's not, it's not everybody just says Telefilm, quote unquote, doesn't do horror, won't support it, but they will. I made an OG movie. Fair, very fair. Arguably the only Canadian origin movie that's uh, that's funded by Telefilm. That's true. Although they wouldn't touch the movie <laughs> to go getters with a ten foot pole. They're like, we can't put our name in this movie, which was shocking to me given some of the things they put their name on. But I digress. Yeah, it's uh, but it's just it's weird to me to censor something after they've already greenlit it. But I but the Canadian censor board and tell you know they're different different bodies, obviously different so people not, operating uh, things. Oh, and now it now holds a. 82% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. I like that. I'm going to check out Rabbit. I'm glad I found it on Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to dive a bit further back. And, and how, how it's funny because when the movie started, like it starts just right away with like the credits and the score right away is like, oh, this score is good. I'm like, wrote, and then as soon as I saw it was Howard Shore, I'm like, oh, of course it's Howard Shore. But then learning it's like his first theatrical score that he must have been moonlighting while still running the Saturday Night Live band or and around that time of departure. Something yeah. other than Saturday Night Live. Just like jumping um, for anything but that. Yeah, exactly. Give me the exact opposite of, of uh, you know, all these so Bill wonder, Murray sketches. Must have been like a Lauren Michaels connection. <laughs> He's probably a co-producer somewhere in this in the background <laughs> or something because he was connected. He was still connected to like the Canadian Film Center and other things at that time. Yeah, he definitely was shepherding. So that's got to be. So it's hilarious to think that that must have been uh, the connection there. Hmm. But so many, you know, he he did he Howard Shore went on to win Oscars for Lord of the Rings, right? Like for his score yeah, there, he's, he's done, been nominated he, for Philadelphia and all kinds. He's of done things. some stuff. <laughs> he's done. He's done some stuff. I love it. I love that, that, you know, again, the Canadian film system gave some of these greats their, their starts, you know? Yeah. We do good work every now and then. 
we pump out the goods. Uh, well, thanks for, for recommending. I just want, what, sorry, one last thing. I have to, uh, Leonard Maltin reviewed the film in two sentences. Egger eats her own afterbirth while midget clones beat, beat grandparents and lovely young school teachers to death with mallets. It's a big, wide, wonderful world we live in, exclamation mark. And Here's rated it an outright bomb. Yeah. <laughs> if, oh, and then gave it a mirror bomb. If yeah. you read that quote, you're either absolutely watching that movie or never yeah. touching it. Well, for horror fans, you're like, uh, yes, I'm, I'm in. in. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> Can I watch it now? I'm going to have to go back. This is what I love to do after I finish a movie now is go back and read old reviews of the movie and then find some of the like Rotten Tomatoes critics that, that are just discovering it now and, and rating it. Um, or especially Letterboxd is amazing for that too, just to see, you yeah. know, old, old versus the new. So fun. Uh, well, thanks for recommending this movie because it was not on my radar. Yeah, I, it's, it's one of those things that like I, I knew this movie, The Brood, existed. I knew David Cronenberg existed. I had no idea that this was right in the middle and, and how many people that I've come to know in real life and, and also people I just come to respect their professional career, like the DP and, and the composer. So it's, it's always, I love seeing people's beginnings. It's always inspiring because then you're like, there's hope. There's hope. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Anytime. And uh, yeah, we'll see how this all goes, but we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll do another one of these, maybe even this way. But uh, it'll also be nice to at some point sit down and watch a movie with you in person. Uh, I, do, I do try to get back to Toronto whenever I can. And uh, day by day, it's looking more like I should probably just do that on a permanent basis. We will welcome you with open arms, sir. <laughs> Perfect. Not that, not that I'll be able to sit with you then. It'll still be the same no. setup. I'll just be, maybe, I, maybe the Wi-Fi will work slightly better because the distance won't be there. I will put uh, plexiglass in between us and we will. <laughs> Watch it in our fancy face masks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, but I, I hear you get a deal. I hear you can get a pretty good deal on some plexiglass. I, too, I so. know a guy, unfortunately, that I did not uh, partner with early yeah. enough on. Uh, yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> this episode brought this episode brought to you by the Canadian Plexiglass Center. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Invest in plexiglass, people. Invest in plexiglass. Yeah, forget Apple stock and Tesla. Get in on plexiglass. Yeah. It's the future. All right, thanks, Kevin. All right, talk to you soon. Let's all go to the Thanks for joining us for the Brood. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.